0: hello my beautiful friends welcome to a helping of history i am your host dr angela riado and this show combines my three main passions food history and helping others here we are passionate about having real honest and sometimes ridiculous conversations and nothing is off limits So sit back and enjoy A Helping of History. So hello, everybody. Welcome back. I am so happy that you decided to join me today. If you are new, welcome. If you are returning, thank you so much. I'm glad that you enjoy hearing me talk and hearing me talk to other people. Tonight, today, whenever you're listening to this, is very special to me because one of my dear, dear friends, Dr. Robert Wedeman, is joining me tonight and it's St. Patrick's Day so we're going to talk about a whole bunch of fun things from St. Patrick's Day to whiskey to barbecue to reaching out to students. It's going to be a truly magical show and I'm so glad that you're here with us. A few things before we begin. Although Dr. Robert Wedeman is an associate professor at the Air Force Academy in Colorado, the views expressed are those of him and do not reflect the official policy or position of the Department of Defense, the U.S. Government, the U.S. Air Force Academy, or the U.S. Air Force. So, if you're here to hear some, like, really cool sass about the Air Force, you've come to the wrong place. We're here to talk about food, history, and helping others. If you are here for those three topics and here to like hear about amazing barbecue recipes and even as a vegan, I'm into this, like give me some French fries and I'm ready to dip it. Bloody Marys, sign me up. Whiskey, I already poured myself a glass. Then please stay tuned. It's going to be a fantastic episode. Also, a brief disclaimer here. There is, seems to be a little bit of a timing issue with this episode at the end. Please forgive me. I don't know if it's just the processing and it will fix itself. If not, please, please, please forgive me. But you're still going to hear some awesome tips from Dr. Bob Wedeman, and you can just ignore me. Well, thank you, Bob. I am so excited to have you here today. How are you?
1: fantastic great to be here happy saint patrick's day
0: yeah happy saint patrick's day i am so glad that you agreed to be on for like this special show i actually have something planned for habits and meal prep but you and barbecue sounds so much more interesting
1: well thank you stop flattering me
0: Hmm. well you know i can't help but flatter you bob you're one of my favorite people
1: just a crazy uncle that's all
0: crazy uncle Um, For those who don't know, before we get into any questions, so Dr. Bob Wediman is actually one of my history mentors. We were talking the other day, and we can't even really remember how we met. We knew it was at the Society of Military History Conference, but ever since then, many years ago, he has been my mentor, my crazy uncle, and my dear friend, so I'm very happy to have him here.
1: I am happy to be here.
0: But yeah, so let's start out. Usually I ask people how they start their day, but since it's St. Patrick's Day, I would love to know what you're drinking.
1: I am having a wee dram of Proper Twelve Irish whiskey.
0: Oh, I've never even heard of that.
1: It's it's a new one that was put together by the MMA fighter Colin McGregor. And I saw an ad on TV the other night. And and typically, you know, it t- to for all things being truthful, my go-to Irish whiskey is is patties and, I, and i've been drinking patties for years but i went to my local um, neighborhood liquor store and they didn't have patties and they had proper 12 at the right price and i said you know i've seen proper 12 i'm gonna try it and i'm not gonna say it's gonna take the place of patties but it's pretty darn close
0: oh and are you drinking it straight or are you uh drinking it with some ice just with a, a
1: few cubes of ice
0: there you go you want to water down your whiskey. When, when i
1: when i have my when i have my uh, whiskey or my jack or whatever. I I do it Sinatra style, two fingers, two cubes, and a splash of water.
0: Nice. Yes. You don't want to adulterate it too much.
1: Uh, Unless you're going to make a a mix with it.
0: Well, which I am doing tonight. I am actually having a whiskey sour.
1: Fantastic.
0: Whiskey sours are my go-to. And we have actually Jay Rieger's whiskey, which is local to Kansas City And some lemon juice, of course, some maraschino cherries because you cannot have a whiskey sour without cherries and some ice.
1: Sounds tasty.
0: So, for everyone who's listening, if by the end of this episode we get a little goofy, this is why, because we've already started drinking. But it is St. Patrick's Day. So, Bob, how did you actually start your day today? What does your typical Wednesday look like?
1: Surprisingly enough, since it was St. Patrick's Day, the beginning of my day, involved a brisket which with our subject today seems kind of appropriate but i was um you know throwing a corned beef brisket in the crock pot and and getting it ready for my traditional st patrick's day meal of corned beef and cabbage
0: yes for sure yeah you have to do it in the crock pot so it gets nice and juicy and just falls apart with a fork that's right do you have mashed potatoes with your cabbage and corned beef or what do you usually have with it
1: I usually go an onion, a few carrots, a few potatoes. And I just, just before I got on with you, I cut up the cabbage and put the cabbage in. So it'll get nice and soft by the time I'm I'm done and we're ready for dinner.
0: Oh, perfect. I was always wondering what people ate on St. Patrick's day. Cause I grew up with corned beef and cabbage, but we always had mashed potatoes Um And then maybe some cornbread or some sort of, like, really good Italian bread, maybe, depending on what kind we wanted. It was mostly carbs, let's be honest. It was mostly just carbs and starch and then the corned beef.
1: Now, I know you've talked about this, but do you have any Irish heritage in your family at all?
0: I do not. Not at all. So you've you've adopted it. We've adopted it. So Schuylkill County in Pennsylvania is very packed with Irish immigrants, Italians, and Lithuanians. So... There, You couldn't, like, walk around Pottsville without running into, like, an Irish pub or we had a ton of, I had a ton of, like, Irish classmates, you know, Irish ancestor classmates. And then, of course, Italians, and then there's a ton of Germans and Russians and Lithuanians, and we're kind of a hodgepodge. So I grew up with a lot of Irish food and Irish culture, and St. Patty's Day is huge where I grew up, but I'm not Irish. Which I used to be really bummed about because everyone could claim to be like Irish or Scottish or English, and I used to be really bummed that I was kind of this mutt. <laughs> mm-hmm. And but now I embrace it. Right? You have to have a good time. You have to. How about you? Do you have Irish heritage?
1: My grandmother was a daily, so you can't get much more Irish than the, than being a daily.
0: You so cannot. When did when did her family come over? It was
1: her. Oh my gosh! Now you're going to test me her parents came over at the end of the 19th century okay and and so
0: not like irish potato famine
1: no not not irish potato famine not irish potato famine irish but that they are they are the, the you know the second wave of the old immigrants
0: oh that is fantastic i'm sure they have a few stories to tell
1: you know, one one of the the things I cherish before she passed away, she gave me a book where she wrote down a bunch of her stories. I have another one from from my grandfather, on the German side, and I had given him a book a number of years before, um, a blank book because he always made sauerkraut every year when when mm-hmm. cabbages came, and I and I gave him a blank book and I gave him the title. So you want to make sauerkraut, and he you know filled it up with with stories about. Him, him growing up, stories of his father, who he always referred to as his old gent, and you know th- those two things are are two things that I cherish because they're they're the what I've got you know from my, from my grandparents now, with both of them having passed, at least on my on my dad's side.
0: Wow, I bet those are such cool stories. You'll have to like type them up one day and put them aside and
1: pass them around to the rest of the grandkids.
0: Them. Pass them around exactly. Keep those stories. Did your grandmother ever share really good Irish cooking recipes?
1: No, not really. Um, you know, the the challenge that I had growing up, I only saw my grandparents about once a year because when I was very young, um, my, my dad moved to Oklahoma where he would teach at Oklahoma State for most of his academic career. And, and my grandparents on both sides lived back in Connecticut. So I would only see them about once a year. So I really wouldn't have that kind of an opportunity to pass on those food stories and those food traditions. So a lot of the food traditions that I have now are ones that that I've developed and, and am developing with my family, so that, that my kids, you know, granted they won't be you know, recipes that are passed down, but they'll they'll be things that Dad always made.
0: Yes, and that's still a tradition, right? That's a family tradition, even if not ancestral.
1: Right. Right.
0: Well, that's awesome. And so, of course, we are here to talk about some food in history, whether that's personal history, like we already started talking about, or actual history. And I know when we initially decided to have you on the show, we were going to discuss your new course that you're doing, American Regional Identities. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about that course and how you gave it your own spin?
1: So a few years ago, with a new department head coming in to run the department at the Air Force Academy, we, we re-evaluated our curriculum to try to bring it more in line with what is being offered at, at this time by by most major colleges and universities and in rewriting our curriculum you know we we took some some opportunities to to come up with some classes that were would allow us to do some of the things like for example a a history of the south class or history of the west class might be able to do but to to do it in a way that gave the individual professors a bit more flexibility in how they might have approached the class so the the class that i was I was tasked with with teaching was entitled American Regional Identities and, you know, the, the course description. It says, we'll examine how the history, ideology, economics, demographics, and environment of one of these various regions shaped its identity and how that identity has influenced the nation as a whole. And you know, a little over a year ago, as we were, we were plotting out who was going to teach what, when, this American Regional Identities course popped up on the radar screen. And we were in a senior staff meeting, and, and almost as a joke, I said, well, you know, I'll teach it. Let me teach it as a history of barbecue. And immediately, everybody said, absolutely, that's what you're going to do. And it, and it became the bar, at least in this iteration of, of History 341, it became the barbecue class. And what's really amazing is that typically for a new class, the first time it's taught you might have, you know, enough students to barely make the have the class make, you know, six or seven, you know, and we have at the Air Force Academy with, with our with our low um, low number of students in every in every class. But I ended up, and, and again, this is a little different because of the COVID environment. I said I am not teaching this class online. I'm going to teach this class in person, and we ended up with 32 students enrolled in three sections of the course which is pretty amazing. Wow.
0: That's amazing. That really is.
1: And, and we have had a ball so far this semester, um, COVID notwithstanding.
0: So, of course, I've known you for a while, but our listeners do not. So you were already a huge fan of barbecue and making barbecue before you started this class. Oh, ab- right?
1: absolutely. You know, I, I um, gr- grew up in Oklahoma and went to graduate school at, at Texas A&M. I grew up as the son of a, an animal science professor who went on to be president of the animal, American Society of Animal Science. So, so the equivalent of the AHA, American Historical Association for, for Animal Scientists, um, continues to be a beef producer, lives on, on 300 acres, has about 50 cows in his retirement. So you know, beef is very near and dear to my heart, but you know, for most people, well, with the exception of people who don't live in Texas, barbecue tends to be pork. And and as I was you know, doing my graduate work at Texas A&M and then moved out to Abilene where, you know, beef is just about everything. When I when I moved to Abilene, one of my colleagues says, you know, Abilene does, you know, 200 things well, and that's 200 different ways to cook cow. And, you know, when when I was out there, we had um, three of the top 10 steak places in Texas within 20 miles of the house. And, you know, it it was it was beef all the time. And that's where I really got into barbecue. But I started with beef barbecue, doing it, doing predominantly brisket, Texas style. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then from there, um, after, after being at the Air Force Academy as a visiting professor for a couple of years, uh, went and lived in North Carolina for 11 months, got to experience pork barbecue, although not, not as much I regret as, as I wish I had now. And, and you know, now being back in Colorado where, you know, the, the local barbecue place here in town bills itself as Oklahoma style barbecue, which I, I, you know, poke fun of all the time with my students because people in Oklahoma, you know, don't have their own style of barbecue. Um, but but now I'm I'm kind of, you know, people know me as the barbecue guy. You know, not not only in in the history department, but you know, since since I've been here at our at our church, we've started a barbecue ministry, and um, you know, we, we have th- this year in in August, we will be celebrating Ribapalooza Ten. So you know, it's kind mm-hmm. kind of got some legs, and I'm, I'm kind of the kind of you know, purely avocationally, but I'm kind of the barbecue guy, at least. Uh,
0: nice, you like the barbecue no, I, king. Instead of like, no, I, team, I, 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 won't
1: go, I won't go that far. I, I ju- I'm just a about, guy that likes to barbecue.
0: How about Dr. Barbecue? Yeah, maybe. Like Dr. Pepper, but Dr. Barbecue. But that is, that's such a fun story. And there is so much to unpack there. Um, I don't even know where to begin, but I think I want to start with Texas okay. Barbecue. Because there are so many, like you're talking about regional identities and regional barbecue, but there are so many different types of barbecue. And I know even in Texas, right, there's like the South Texas and there's like West Texas style. So what would you how do you describe Texas? barbecue? OK, so
1: if, if we're going to look at barbecue in general, the, the as as I would define the, the, the core or the traditional barbecue region in the United States is any portion of the country that contributed materially to the former confederacy and and there there is no direct correlation between the two it just so happens to be that way because you know if, if you if you you look at um you know virginia kentucky missouri eastern kansas um eastern oklahoma most of texas and then everything else in the in the south that that contains below the 37th um, parallel above the 30th and, and, and all of that in between that there's, there's your barbecue region, right? There, there is your core mm-hmm. barbecue region in the United States. And then from there, there are a lot, a lot of different regional traditions. You know, the, the vast majority of it is going to be pork of some form, but, but kind of the, the, mm-hmm. the, um, the Highway 69 corridor north-south, that kind of divides, at least in Texas, that kind of divides the, um, the, the, the barbecue region in Texas with East Texas style, which is much more um, pork-centric and southern. And then when you get past you know, kind of I-35 and start moving west, there you start getting more and more into beef country, and then you start having more, more beef barbecue. But a lot of that is a result of who started barbecue in that part of the state as opposed to who started barbecue in, in the eastern half of the state. Because in the eastern half of the state, you know, one thing that is true with barbecue throughout most of the South, it's predominantly an African-American tradition that in the 20th century has been largely co-opted by the Bubbas, right? But 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 even someone mm-hmm. like um, James Beard Award winner Michael Twitty for his fantastic book, and I'm, I'm going to plug a book here if I can, The Cooking Gene, Um it's absolutely phenomenal. He he is um, a a gay African American Jew who bills himself as an antebellum chef, and and in doing so has traced his lineage genomically as well as through um, genealogy. So yeah, he actually you know knows from the regions in Africa where his people were, and has has tracked that down through DNA as well as through the genealogy, and has has figured out where so many of his familial cooking traditions come from in Africa, many times just by going to those places and realizing that he's doing some of the things just by family tradition, what they were doing in Africa because of their family tradition, and having no knowledge of the connection. And, and, and the book is just an absolutely fascinating read. Um, But, you
0: know, no, I've seen him pop up on Twitter and various social media. So people who miss that, it's the cooking gene and gene kind of like genome chromosome um, genealogy. And it's Michael W. Twitty. So I will link it, if you guys are listening, I'll link it on our social media because I've heard only great things and he did win the 2018 winner of the James Beard Award, like Bob said. I've, so I've,
1: I've approached him and tried to get it. him in class and, and of course now he's so popular, it's very difficult. But I did manage to show a a couple of videos of him. One, one in fact, that he did on um, 18th Century Barbecue. And he he did that in the context of you know, how they prepared it what they did and it was very similar to something that I saw uh, late last fall where he actually did a, a live question and answer um, at Colonial Williamsburg where where he was there as a, as a visiting scholar and and c- cooking there in one of the kitchens and you know he opened it up to questions and I and I you know tossed the question out hey I'm teaching a class on barbecue what do I need to tell the, my students and he says hey it's not the bubbas it's it's a slave food you know, they're, the, they're the ones who, who took particularly the, 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 the cuts of meat that didn't come from high on the hog. Probably didn't know about that expression, mm-hmm. but it, it's the, the lesser cuts of meat and, and would transform that into something palatable. And, and when you look at the tradition of the, the old pit bosses, the vast majority were African-American. You know, there, there's a fascinating one by um, Wes Jones. Uh, that he, that he did that shows up in the WPA slave narratives that were recorded, where he was a pit boss and he and he tells about, you know, how he did it, his barbecue style, the the blending of the races at the barbecue where where everyone would cook and then the whites would, would go off and eat theirs and and the blacks would go off and eat theirs. It was it was a, an in, an interesting dichotomy um, that that you see around around food.
0: No, I was I actually I was going to ask about that. So the, our last interview I had with tattooed historian you know we grew up with you know pennsylvania Dutch food i grew up very poor and the idea of a lot of our recipes are trying to make meat or vegetables that weren't seen as preferred taste good like how do you take those extra scraps of pork and veal and what have you make them taste good so that would make sense that you would see a similar reasoning behind. well and,
1: and you cer- you certainly see that with with, with the pork tradition throughout the South, but that's also at the core of the beef brisket tradition, which, which is, you know, the, the cornerstone of, of Texas style barbecue, which, you know, if, if you told people now that you get brisket because it's the cheaper cut of meat, um, that's not the case now because everybody caught, everybody wants brisket and cows only have two. Right. And, you know, I, I was mm-hmm. just today, I was, I was buying a, buying a brisket and, you know, I was, I was looking at, at, at flats that were five something a pound and the whole packer brisket that had the flat as well as the point And, and those are running three and a half a pound. And, you know, when, when you, when you get a 25 pound brisket, that sent you back a pretty big chunk of change. You know, for a point of comparison, I can remember 15 years ago, living in Abilene, Texas, going into my local H-E-B grocery store and and getting a brisket for $1.29 a pound. I wow. mean it's, it just it just tells you how how the prices explode everybody's doing brisket these days. You know it, it used to be that the only people that were doing brisket it was it was predominantly the Texas ranchers or it was there in where, where's where's the other place that you would expect to find a brisket? Uh, I'll I'll test you. You're always asking the questions.
0: Oh, I have no idea. Um, brisket. Uh, maybe like northern, like Mississippi. No, going
1: to a Jewish yeah. jelly. What do you think a pastrami is? What do you think a corned beef is? Yeah, really. Yeah. Pasta- so, pastrami, so corn, corned beef.
0: Knows, as the vegan who knows nothing about cows, brisket is like the breast, right? The, the, the it's, chest. it's actually
1: the upper chest. Yeah, the upper chest of of, of the cow. Oh, yeah. Okay, and and because. There, there's no bone there. It is a, a, it's full of connective tissue. And if, and if you cook a brisket the way you cook a steak, you'll have a piece of shoe leather, right? So, so to cook a brisket, you've, you've got to do it low and slow. And that breaks down all the connective tissues into, into a gelatin and, 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 and really makes it, when, when you, when you cook it right, you know, it, it is, cut with a plastic fork tender
0: yeah so so the brisket is the actual cut of meat and then how you cook it makes it into either pastrami or what we would think would be right you know with brisket.
1: with you know pastrami and corned beef bearing being very similar there's a there's a corning process with spices and 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 corning and pickling salts and and you soak it for an extended period of time i actually made one a number of years ago and that then you have the corned beef, then you take the corned beef and rub it with a spice rub that includes coriander, pepper, and a variety of other things, and smoke it, and then it becomes a pastrami.
0: Yep, yeah, smoke it and steam Correct. it, and then you get your pastrami. There you go. See, so I think most people, including myself, I just throw out those terms because I see them on menus like brisket, pastrami, corned beef. They're not, I never think of them as the same thing, right. just cook differently. Well, there you go. Bring it back to St. Patrick's Day. And, and I'm,
1: I, I actually have a brisket that I'm going to put down starting Friday night. So.
0: And you're going to cook that as a.
1: I I am going to cook that in classic Texas-style brisket.
0: There you go. And before we get to that, because obviously I want to hear your story why you're making, while, why you are making that on Friday. But let's okay. talk to your class. So you obviously, you are a huge fan of barbecue anyway, but what was one fact or recipe that you learned during class prep?
1: That the, the, the whole connection between brisket and the Jewish community and the, the Texas community and how those are all interconnected. I did not know that. I, I had thought just simply that brisket was a, a cheap cut of meat and that's why it was used, which is part of it. But to understand that because it comes from the front or the chest of the cow, that makes it kosher. And it, had, it has actually oh,
0: really? correct. Nowhere near the
1: feet? Is that I, and I think, and, and, and someone have to correct, as, as I understand it, it's the connection with the sciatic nerve. Something close to the sciatic nerve, that makes it so it's not kosher. And because it's high up on the animal it's in in the front of the animal, then, then it is, that makes it effectively kosher. And, you know, it, it, it had been something that had been consumed by the Jewish community as a traditional Passover meal for, for, you know, centuries. And when you have that influx of Germans and Czechs into Texas in the middle part of the 19th century, many of whom were Jews, and when you have the large number of, Cattle that you do, you, know, you you start to have the 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 Jewish butcher shops in in Central and West Texas, and, and you know you think of, of places like um, New Braunfels or or Fredericksburg, where you know even when my wife and I, when we were married, um, honeymoon in Fredericksburg, we are sitting in a coffee shop one night, and there are these two teenagers who were conversing in German. You know, so so there's that that heritage is very very strong there. But it was, it was those German and those Czech butchers who you know, had no way to use the brisket, so they figured out if they smoked it low and slow, in the same way you would with a pastrami, but just not, you know, not season it, not corn it the way that you would for a corned beef, you, know, you can come off with, with a cut of meat that is is unbelievably tender and you know you you cut that off you're right there in a butcher shop you give a couple slices of bread a little cheese and a pickle and that becomes a meal and boom there you have what you would call the traditional texas style barbecue
0: wow and it's not expensive either well now it will get more but it was easy meal that you could go correct and
1: and and and, and, you know you'd, you'd go right to the and and you know a lot a lot of those places um you know, around around the Lockhart area, um, Schmitty's, Kreutz's Market, Black's. They, they all have that traditional Texas barbecue. And, and that's how you get it. You walk up there. There's no sauce. They'll they'll cut it by the by, you know, the way, the amount that you want. They'll put it right there on a piece of butcher paper. They'll give you a pickle. They'll give you a cheese, a couple slices of bread. And there you have it.
0: And that's how it should be. If the meat's good enough, if it's cooked well enough, now it's now
1: enough, it's now, now you of say off. that, and and now you know people in Kansas City and and throughout <laughs> North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, you've just committed blasphemy.
0: Well, I'm a vegan, so they have, yeah. I already committed blasphemy. But like, so out of all that, so. Let's go, let's talk about sauces then because I know sauces is very different. What is your favorite sauce to barbecue?
1: I, I have two. Um, and, and they're both ones of my own creation. Um, one is is I call it um Bob and Daryl's Damn Fine Sauce, and that's spelled D D A M P H I N E, and it's damn fine. And and that was one my neighbor, and I'm gonna give Breed out in Abilene, Texas. Give you a shout out, buddy um he and i made that sauce up one night in my kitchen and then then the other one that we have is some of my cadets made that we were sitting around the house and we said we need a barbecue sauce for our cadet squadron so we came up with and and it's cadet squadron 10 the the and it's tiger 10 is is their nickname and and we came up with with what we called at the time tiger blood and it was right around the time when Charlie Sheen had his issues and it's got his picture on it and says not endorsed by Charlie Sheen, but, but that's the label on, on the jar. But, but we have tiger blood and you know, they they are, they are a, a Texas style sauce. So they're, they're, they're heavy. I actually start my, my base is, is tomato paste and cider vinegar and there's a, a healthy um, amount of, of soy Worcestershire, Tabasco, um, onion powder, garlic powder, a little brown sugar. And of course, I'm not going to give the the exact proportions because that's those those are guarded trade Mm. secrets. But the other thing about both of those, they're they're a tangier sauce. So they they both also go very well over ice with a little vodka. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Bloody Mary barbecue sauce
0: very nice. I was wondering if it was tomato based when you said like tiger blood. I was
1: like, yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm I was thinking you know when tomato it comes based. to beef I am I I'm in reality a beef purist because if if you if you need barbecue sauce you've done something wrong. But if, if I've got to go with with a sauce I want a, a tangier as opposed to a sweeter sauce. Um you know when when mm-hmm. and and that's that's the way I, I prefer my beef. My my pork. Then I'm I'm probably leaning more, um, a vinegar. So a a more traditional Eastern North Carolina sauce, which is tends to be more vinegar and pepper, um, as as opposed to a, to a Western style, which which brings in usually tomato via tomato ketchup. Um, or you get into South Carolina, where you've got you know multiple styles of sauce. Um, the, the the central Midlands tends to be a, a mustard vinegar combo, as opposed to the the northeastern peaty region of, of South Carolina, which is you know kind of kind of a distillation of the 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 vinegar pepper sauce that's kind of drifting down from from North Carolina. And then you know if 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 you are going to do chicken, and and some people will say barbecue chicken, and they'll usually put some kind of a sauce on it. I kind of have, have converted to an Alabama style white sauce that was pioneered by, um, big Bob Gibson in, in the forties, which is, which is a a mayonnaise and cider vinegar sauce, which, which sounds really weird, but with those two flavors, um, with a little salt and pepper and, and a touch of sugar on, on a grilled chicken is, is absolutely amazing.
0: Yeah, and uh, Bob Gibson, of course, they also have a book about him. I think it's called Bob Gibson's Big Barbecue, and it has just a ton of his recipes and stories about him setting up his barbecue. I have a
1: lot of that in the history of Alabama barbecue that I have on my shelf. It's nice that I have a whole shelf in my office of books that are just about barbecue, and very few of them are cookbooks.
0: Yeah, because yeah, the history recipes, there's so much more to it than just Absolutely. actual like, ingredients.
1: Yeah, we, we've, we've spent a lot of time with with, a, with another book by, by a good friend of mine, uh, Joe Anderson, entitled Capitalist Pigs. It's, it's a history of pigs in America. And, you know, all of my students now can tell you the gestation period of a pig right off the top of their head. And, you know, and, and oh. use that to help explain why pork is so prevalent as, as a barbecue protein.
0: Yeah, you know, I won't lie, growing up, I didn't grow up with a lot of barbecue. Any barbecue we had was like the barbecued chicken that you got at churches. And
1: then put a little barbecue weekend. sauce on it.
0: And you got like a barbecue. Yep. Yeah, it's like a chicken breast or some drums with some barbecue sauce, your baked potato. See,
1: had you. And had, maybe a roll. Had,
0: and it was like those really bad had dinner you Had you like, had real barbecue,
1: we could have cured you of your veganness earlier.
0: <laughs> oh, Stop. Well, you know, I lived in Mississippi for two years, and I did have good barbecue then. And we'd always get the if the yep. restaurant offered like a sampler, like you could just go in and you pay ten bucks, and they just fill a styrofoam container Absolutely. with all their different types of barbecue. The, that was good. And then you get like the, four those; sides those like are 10 the, bucks. you
1: know, those are the best ways to go. Get something to share. And 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 when I'm you know when I'm traveling, you know, one of the things that I'm always looking for is where where are the good barbecue joints and, and and when i say joint that's to distinguish yeah. them from the national chain and and my first signal when i'm looking at a barbecue joint is is there a pile of wood outside and if there's not a pile of wood i won't go because it, that'll
0: you won't go so i know you were telling me before that there's like this a significant change in the style of uh, barbecue joints and restaurants around world war. II. Yeah. So, it's, so as I'm, as I'm too.
1: working with my class and kind of developing a, a, a history of, of barbecue, you know, you, you start to have, um, if, if, if we were going to work from, you know, the, the, the first first, um, the first incarnation of barbecue in the United States, in what would become the United States, probably somewhere along the South Carolina coast in about 1600. Um, you know, from from there to about the, the end of the Civil War, it's really not going to change that significantly. And and actually, you know, the end of the Civil War, the big change there is is your barbecue pit master or your barbecue pit bosses go from being slaves to free men, right? And then the next big period of change, I would say, starts around 1908. And everything before that, barbecue is going to be Big public gatherings, largely for political or social or, in many cases, religious purposes. That that's going to that like that's going be
0: big party,
1: whole hog, lots of people. And by about 1908, yeah. and be, and between 1908 and and the end of World War II, it will start to change, as as it as it will you know kind of kind of evolve as people start to do barbecue for profit, as opposed to doing it for major social events. And, and, and why 1908,
0: 1908 doesn't jump out at me. Isn't that when Henry Ford
1: popularized the model T it's going to, it's going to start with the automobile. And, 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 and in, in the midst of that, between, you know, roughly 1920 and 1960, you also have the great migration taking place. So you have the, the, the outflow of, of mm-hmm. African-Americans from the South to the rest of the country, which is going to help distribute that. But then the next big real change is going to be post-World War II because there you're at the point where people who have say, you know, used up, made do or did without between 1920 and the end of the war, then they're able, gonna, going to be able to get their automobiles. And they, they're going to start traveling not only in their regions, but traveling throughout the country. And when you have you know pioneering barbecue joints who are going to transform the way that we think about food, and, and I think of that pioneering barbecue joint um, made by two brothers named McDonald out in California. You know, McDonald's started okay. as a barbecue joint. And they figured out, hey, people aren't buying barbecue. They're buying burgers or fries. And, you know, they changed their way of thinking and come up with, you know, consistent fast food um, that's the same way everywhere. And, and, And that's a whole other story. But at the same time, in all these regional pockets throughout the United States, you've got these people who had been doing really good barbecue for, in many cases, a generation or two. And they start selling it and and they open up their little shack or they open up their little barbecue joint by the side of the road and slowly over time you know, and and you roll into you know what what I'll kind of call the golden age of American barbecue that'll stretch from about 1945 to the the probably the the early to mid 1990s and, and I'm just you know kind of spitballing these years and, and it's my general impressions based upon my experience and the research that I've done um, for this class and, and some of the other books that, that, that I've looked at Um, because by, by the the 1990s, then you start and, 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 you know, I kind of pin the 1990s because that's kind of when the food network comes into its own and, and you start to have the fascination Mm -hmm. with the chefs and, and the, 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 the young men and women who now have, have gone out and have had their culinary training, and now they're going to take traditional barbecue, which, you know, the regions are all clearly defined by them, right? North Carolina, South Carolina, Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, Kansas City, Texas, um, Alabama, they, they all have their, their clear regional styles, and, and there, there are those joints that exist because they've been doing it that way since World War II or earlier. And now what starts to happen, you have these classically trained chefs who want to take the barbecue and make it uniquely theirs. And in making it theirs, they're going to use their their chef training and pull from all of these different styles and serve them all at the same time. So you almost have... A diffusion of the regional styles, as these chefs want to put their label on their barbecue because it's about them. And and I was you know showing a, a video clip, and, and I'm not gonna you know roll roll the chef out and throw him under the bus, but you know he described his pork as being as having unctuous chunks of pork, and who would put the word unctuous in front of barbecue? except some you know borderline self-important narcissist, right? I would I wouldn't put those I w-
0: When I hear unctuous, yeah, I think I mean, of like it, oily. It, you know,
1: like Well, a, and a, a and a it, and, and if you, you look at the and, and again, I you know, some, somebody somebody look at the video and figure out who I'm, who I'm throwing under the bus. But um you know, I, I it's just it's me as the historian, me as the traditionalist. Give me the old school. If I want barbecue, I want to go to the place that's been around since 1940. I want to go to the place that's been around since 1950. And it's in, you know, the fifth generation of the family. I don't want it from some up and coming guy who's, yeah. you know, who, who went to the Culinary Institute of America and, you know, is, is now, you know, slinging Yuppie Q. Now, that's not going to stop me when I go to a barbecue joint from from talking my way back to the to the pits, which which I have done on multiple occasions. Just to see what people are doing.
0: Yeah, for sure. What would you say that starting then after World War Two and now up, that barbecue has become oh, kind of whitened? Where it's become more about middle. Absolutely. Class There's white and and, that, and that's wh- than, that's
1: where I'm sure, you know, when when Michael Twitty said, Hey, you know, barbecue is not by the Bubba's. And because it's it's absolutely become, you know, much more white. And although, you know, th- there are some obvious exceptions to those trends, you know, s- somebody like um, uh, Rodney Scott in South Carolina comes to mind. Um, there's, there's another one in Georgia whose name escapes me. Um, and, and certainly somebody like uh, like Earl Mitchell, who had the pit in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, you know, has now passed that on to his son. You know, th- there, there is still an African-American tradition. But, you know, a, a lot of and, and, and a lot of it has to do with with, you know, you a, a restaurant is not a cheap endeavor. And, and you have to have the capital to get it going. And, you know, you have to have the access to capital. And, you know, there, there are some, you know, unfortunately, in today's society, barriers that are imp- imposed by race that makes, you know, getting a loan like that very difficult, particularly if you're not proven and and you know when you when you're getting on on yep. the ground floor like like a um, you know like a, a Perry in Kansas City who passes it down to Arthur Bryant's and then makes it an institution you know that you you, you can make something like that otherwise you know that's why i think a, a lot of um a, a lot of the, the the folks you see on on the barbecue pitmaster shows on tv tend to be white because you know, when, when you look at their their, their, yep. their pits and their rigs and everything that they're doing, they're throwing a lot of money at that stuff. And, and you can only do that if, if you've got, you know, if, if you have that, that economic safety net that, that's in many cases, unfortunately, a product of race.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like you're while we're just talking, we're coming across so many very important historical events. Historical themes in American history. So, do you use your barbecue class to kind of touch on these oh, very abs- important events and themes such Ab- as absolutely. racism, absolutely, Great absolutely. and that's
1: and that's what really makes the class fun because it's it's really you know the, the students really when they enrolled thought they were getting a cooking class, and and they've really gotten a, a guerrilla history lesson. I mean we we have we have spent time obviously talking hmm. about race. We've spent time obviously talking about class. We we've spent time talking about, you know, the better half of a lesson talking about progressive era reform as, as it relates to, you know, meat packing and the refrigerated car and you know oh, yeah. trust pools and 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 big business and and Swift and armor and, and shipping you know, shipping beef frozen because it was cheaper that way. But at the same time, what you had to do in order to develop the apparatus on, on the distribution end. So, you know, it's, it's been a course, it's been a course on the rise of big business. And, and we, we've got, um, there, there's a, there's a, a great, um, oh, let me find, find the name of it off the top of my head. Back versus McClung. It's a court case about, you know, segregation in a barbecue joint. We're going to read that and, and, and they get to deal with all of these different issues in addition to getting to eat a little barbecue. So it's, it's, it's been, it's been an abs. It's been an absolutely fascinating class. Why not? All right.
0: Before we move on, can you repeat that court? case? Cats and Bob versus McClung bag. Cats and Bob. Okay. I was like, is cats in a bag of Alabama,
1: nineteen sixty-four.
0: All right. That sounds a little bit more reasonable. Have, I was have another drink. Very weird visions in my head.
1: <laughs> yes. I'll
0: keep drinking. God, that got weird. I was like, why are we why are there cats in bags? I don't know. I wouldn't put it past people. But so you yeah, so you teach your students a lot of things. And you know, one of my main themes of this podcast is also helping others. So can you tell me a little bit about how you help your students or how you use well, your know, class to connect with my, your students?
1: I, no, I'll, I'll say students, but I, I'll, I'll, I call them my kids. And very, very early in the semester, my, my, my students discover that because they're in my class, they, I consider them my kids and I love my kids. And the, the first time I said that around my mom, she got really upset she's like you have two children of your own and i'm like yes but my children think of my students as their brothers and sisters and 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 we and you, you ask my son and my daughter you know about our cadets and and they they will speak in terms of their their big brothers and sisters and you know particularly over the course of now as we're, as we're sitting here you know a year into this pandemic these, these kids need love more than anything else. And, and I have spent, I have more over the course of last spring, last fall, and, and this spring. You know, when I, when I stand in a class, when, when I know they're having a rough time, and I'll just look them all in the eye and say, hey, um, t- take this in the way it's intended. in you know, your traditional, um, you know, um, n- non-gendered beer commercial kind of way. But I love you guys. And, and they need to hear that. And, and I do what I can do to, l- to let my kids know that I care for them, that, that they mean everything to me. And if there's anything that they need, all they have to do is call. And, you know, the, the other way, obviously, you, you connect, connect with, with cadets and, and ask anyone who's ever worked around cadets at any of the service academies. They all know how to eat. And... You know, I, I have always been one who has had my home open to my my cadets. And 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 certainly even with the restrictions that have been po- imposed upon them this semester by by varying levels of, of COVID restriction, you know, I have done what I can do with within the left and right limits of what my administration has given me to, to provide for my kids. And you know, I, I, I spoke earlier in the podcast of of, you know, picking up a 25 pound brisket today. And and that was in addition to three racks of ribs. And, you know, there is going to be a, a drive-through barbecue place that is open for, for Air Force Academy cadets only called That Barbecue Place at my house. And I'm going to be serving out of my garage just so. You know, I'm, you I'm, I don't think I'm going to because box? I'm, I'm going to do, you know, pure Texas brisket. And then, I, and then I do a little bit of a different spin on my ribs. Um, and, and I, and I go with, with my, my, my hometown favorite um, head country barbecue sauce out of Ponca city, Oklahoma, just North of my hometown. And, and I do that because my favorite home barbecue joint, and i to make a shout out to Brett Brownlee at Cherokee strip barbecue, Stillwater, Oklahoma. They use head country because it's cheaper than what they can make their own for And, and, you know, I've, I've, I've known Brett for years. And the next time I go back home, he said, Hey, if you want to show up to show up someday, you can just work, work the pit. And I'm, I'm going to take him up on that one of these days. Yeah. That's
0: your retirement plan
1: uh, now, Bob. Well, thank you. Yeah. Says the vegan. What are you going to have? Corn Cornbread, coleslaw. Well,
0: cornbread, exactly. Cornbread, coleslaw. You know, you got to put bacon in the baked baked beans. beans, Oh, I know. It's, it's a it's tough call. It really is. Because one of my favorite things to do is to take oh, yeah. barbecue sauce and then have it with french fries. You know? So I can still get that delicious barbecue flavor, but without, you know. Okay.
1: We'll have, we'll have, we'll have, have to have this other conversation offline. It's when you, when you talk about eating creatures. So.
0: <laughs> eating creatures. No, I, I limit myself to like. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, ve- vegetarian is an cabbage. Indian word for bad hunter.
0: Oh, my gosh. And vegans, like, for those people who probably should have just died, like, wasted <laughs> away somewhere. No, it's fine. It's all good.
1: It appreci- appreciate you'd appreciate it more if you would eat it.
0: And good barbecue sauce. And I pre- – well, I appreciate the smell of it. Like, I walk by, smell it. And living in Kansas City, I feel like yeah, I'm you, kind you of are. a – Yeah, you are.
1: I would call you that a bit of a – You know, how can you live in Kansas City little. and not eat barbecue? I uh, Just – I mean, i i have comp- I have created a whole annual research trip around Kansas City. I've, t- I've told you about this one.
0: Yes, actually, for people who are listening, last
1: year and, and uh, one of one uh, of our last one of our last we had some, before we had COVID yes. shut everything down. We we participated okay. in what we call at the Air Force Academy yes. History Pit Four, which which consists of. Driving across Kansas to Abilene, stopping in Abilene, spending the night, spending the next day at the Eisenhower Presidential Library, offering our cadets a taste of research and historical research in a National Archive facility. We wrap up that afternoon, drive into Kansas City, and spend the next day and a half touring history and barbecue, Um, eating barbecue from a number of famed Kansas City barbecue joints. Spending a little time seeing what advanced professional military education looks like at Command and General Staff College, and then we usually stop the World War One Museum, and we get good food. That
0: sounds fantastic. Followed and on the get way back by a too, stop the at the
1: Cozy Inn in Salina, Kansas, for a sack of Cozy Burgers. So that
0: oh, nice. What before we before we hang up? What is your favorite place to get Goodness. barbecue in Kansas City? Um.
1: You know, one of the ones we always go to with cadets is Jack Stack, and 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 that's a good one for traditional Kansas City barbecue. Um, and then we usually go to another joint in town, and of of the the handful that I've been to, um, what used to be Oklahoma Joe's in the gas station downtown is by is hands down my favorite.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But. It, but you know it had Oklahoma in the name, so how can you lose? There you go. Now it's just now it's just Joe's Kansas. And now State. that's
0: just Joe's Kansas.
1: But A- I I have my Oklahoma Joe's smoker out in the garage, out in the out in the yard that I'll be firing up tomorrow. So there there's the the obvious connection. Well,
0: that is fantastic. Oh, I'm I sure you hope the drive-through weekend goes. Well. I
1: am not concerned that they they, they I'm sure always those students
0: love it. will appreciate it. And there's there's something to say here. You're saying you know you love them. You're letting them know they're cared for and they have somewhere to turn to. And he said that's very important during this past year, right? Because there's a lot of people well, you know, I, isolated, I had I had one of mine
1: who had the misfortune and... of finding um, the second unfortunate suicide last spring. And you know, you know, after that, it's you know, mm-hmm. th- this is the time where you've really got to take care of your kids, and and
0: yeah because even if they're with people, right we've learned that you can be Absolutely. with people but still feel lonely right Well, you don't have to be alone to feel lonely, you don't have to be isolated you can still be going to class having all of your interactions but still not feel like you're cared for and, so and, and that, that extra step to and and, say and that's it, one of the
1: things that you know my my, my kids know difference. that that you know doc loves them, and you know when i when I have for, former students tell me that that's you know, when I have, you know, a, a, a two year grad who's now, you know, special operations pirate yell at me from across the parking lot. Hey, love you, doc. Then I know I'm doing something right.
0: So we know that before we hang up, I know we weren't planning on having this conversation, but I want to ask you for those professors, instructors who may not feel comfortable telling their students that they love them because of gender issues or what have you. What are ways that you say that you can they can still show their students that they care for them without them being matter. as explicit as well? Tell them that saying, they're there for
1: you. you. Give them your phone number, your home number, your cell phone number. You know, set the right left and right limits of when you expect, you know, the limitations. But but let them know, hey, if you're having a hard time, let me know. Let me know. Give me a call, send me an email.
0: Yeah. Hit, hit me, me up on Facebook if, if you do something that archaic. Hours.
1: Come in during office hours. L- let them know that you're there and you're willing to talk. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I have been close to my students before. You know, I, I had, I had my, 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 one of my first students just sent me pictures of his daughter and, and I, and I almost feel like a grandfather, you know, and, and, and my kids know that that's just the way Doc is. Doc loves his kids. And, and he's there for, and, and it's going to be different for, for, for other people, but, you know, the more, the more that we, as, as, as instructors can, can let these, and and they're not all fragile and delicate, but, but they're all sensitive and let them know that, that we're there, we care. And, you know, we would much rather them disturb us than, than have, you know, become a statistic.
0: And you don't have to fix it, right? You're not Someone is that there you're to promising listen. Promising that you be to fix what's going on.
1: Someone is there, there to listen.
0: Yep. And if you do, absolutely, and you're able to like put them in the right absolutely. direction if they do need something else. No, that's. I think that's a. That's besides the delicious barbecue that we've heard today, um, and learning that 1908 was Model T year. I think the big takeaway is, even if it's not even your students, just let people that's that you care for let do. them know that they're cared for. And yeah, and again, you don't have to fix it, but just being there and sometimes just asking how are you can make a world of a difference to someone who's struggling. Well, thank you, Bob. Um, But before we hang up, one one last question, and then I'll let you go to your corned beef. If you could recommend any book to the people who are listening, it, it could be barbecue, it could be teaching, it could be about... Marriage counseling. I don't even oh my know. Gosh, like, that was you a trick question. that advance. Sorry, it's a trick question. It's like, mm, what are you gosh, kids? let me it's think just, for a second. Just have to come up with it.
1: Franklin Barbecue, a Meat Smoking Manifesto. Ooh. It's by Aaron Franklin. That-
0: Sounds awesome. So owner we'll operator of Franklin's
1: Barbecue Austin, Texas.
0: Aaron
1: Franklin. Uh, Franklin Barbecue, a meat smoking manifesto. Which is which is almost a and, and double check my title. That I sounds may have,
0: fancy. Um
1: juxtaposed a few words, but it it is almost more of a book of philosophy than it is a barbecue. Because Franklin Barbecue.
0: So it's called Franklin Barbecue. Yep, yep you're right. Franklin Barbecue, a meat-smoking manifesto. There
1: you go. Followed closely by Michael Amazon. Twitty's The Cooking Gene so, and Joe Anderson's right. Capitalist Pigs.
0: So all these all these books, but if you had to take one, Franklin Barbecue is the way Great. to go. And I will link all of these in our social media. Um, and of course, thank you again, Bob, for joining me for this special episode for St. Patrick's Day. I hope you enjoy your whiskey and your corned beef and your cabbage and have a fantastic evening. Talk to you later. Yes. Love you.